It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW, Sitka. Today is Monday, August 1st. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this is Raven News. Alaska has recorded its first case of monkeypox. Anchorage Health Department officials say the person who tested positive is an Anchorage resident and is isolating at home. Officials say the person did not require hospitalization, and they were a close contact of a person who recently traveled out of state. Monkeypox is a viral disease transmitted through skin-to-skin contact, contact with monkeypox sores, or through contaminated bedding or clothing. It produces fever, muscle aches and chills, and can lead to a rash that looks like pus-filled blisters. There's currently a vaccine for monkeypox, but it is being prioritized for people in close contact with another positive case. Vaccines are not recommended for the general public, according to health officials. As of Thursday, the Centers for Disease Control say positive monkeypox cases have been detected in 46 other states, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico. The Sitka Homeless Coalition will host its first-ever Sleepout next week. Sleepouts are a common strategy used across the country to raise funds and awareness around homelessness. Johnny Elliott is the communications chair of the coalition. Here in Sitka, I think it's easy to um, make invisible of the issue of homelessness, that a lot of the folks who are, are living outside in town are living in places where they can stay drier than the city streets, um, such as the woods. Um, and it's not a it's not always a very visible issue or one that people think about, and it's often more comfortable to to ignore it. To make sure the event gets plenty of visibility, they've chosen to camp out at Totem Square on August 5th. And even if the, the folks in said tents and tarps are not themselves experiencing homelessness, the sort of imagery will um, hopefully force folks to acknowledge a little bit that this is something that happens in our community, that there are neighbors of ours who don't have a roof over their head and a door that locks, and that we want to change that. The group is fundraising as well. The money will go towards developing a tiny home community on Jarvis Street. Volunteer Doug Osborne says their first fundraising campaign was very successful. Their goal was $20,000, and they raised over $100,000. But they still have room to grow to fund the project. And with a project like this, there's so many costs and permits and get a test hole for uh, the, the site and the ground and prep work and engineer stamps. So there's just so many things. So we really appreciate the community's support so far. The coalition is growing, too. This summer, they hired a full-time executive director who will be taking the helm this fall. To register for the sleepout or find more information on fundraising, you can find a link on our website at kcaw.org. More than $100 million in federal funding for rural broadband is heading to Alaska. As KRBD's Reagan Miller reports, about a quarter of the U.S. Department of Agriculture grant money will go towards expanding fiber-optic connections on Prince of Wales Island. Affordable, high-speed internet is closer to becoming a reality for more than 1,200 residents on Prince of Wales Island. That's because of a $29.3 million grant that was awarded to Alaska Power and Telephone by the USDA ReConnect program. The Alaska Telecom Company is also kicking in $9 million of its own money. That all funds what AP&T is calling the C-Link South Project. It's a fiber-to-the-premises connection for the communities of Craig, Cloak, and Hollis. 
it'll provide high-speed internet connections of at least 100 megabits per second. The Biden administration announced the grants on Wednesday in a press call. White House Infrastructure Coordinator Mitch Landrau says it's an effort to ensure rural residents are able to participate in the 21st century economy. Rural communities are the backbone of our nation and have a broad impact on our economy. But for too long, rural communities have been left out and left behind and under-recognized for their contributions. We're changing that, and it starts with making sure rural communities are connected to affordable, reliable, high-speed internet. AP&T Vice President Jason Custer says the fiber optic network will be a big upgrade. These are definitely underserved locations, and uh, we provide the best service that we're able to, but that depends upon the strength of the infrastructure uh, in the communities and uh, also the backhaul infrastructure out of the communities. He says the grant could put the areas on par with urban communities. The investment is going to really improve the quality of life on Prince of Wales Island and give people new opportunities and hope for the future. Sealink South will bring fiber optic networks to an estimated 1,236 residents, 45 businesses, and a school in Craig, Colwock, and Hollis. AP&T estimates that will happen around 2023. Construction is expected to start between 2024 and 2027. It's the second time AP&T has scored federal funding for fiber optic networks on Prince of Wales Island. And the company says its first C-Link program is actually running two years ahead of schedule. The company expects to start laying a 214-mile submarine fiber optic cable linking Kaufman Cove with Juno in November. Installation in the homes of Kassan and Kaufman Cove residents is expected to start next year. AP&T plans to enroll in both the Federal Communications Commission's Lifeline program and the Affordable Connectivity Program. Both target low-income customers and provide adjusted monthly rates and discounts to low-income households. The programs also provide discounts and assistance purchasing items like tablets or computers. Prince of Wales Island wasn't the only area in Alaska to benefit from a fiber optic grant. The USDA program also awarded $34 million to the Bristol Bay Telephone Cooperative, $31 million to the Bethel Area Unicom Company, and $21 million to the Cordova Telephone Corporation. All told, the federal grants are estimated to connect more than 5,400 Alaskans to high-speed broadband. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. There's an intricate world of plants that make up the muskeg bogs on the islands of southeast Alaska. Some of those plants may hold clues for how people can store water in the future or grow more disease-resistant food. KFSK's Catherine Monahan learned more than she expected during a recent tour in Petersburg. It's a bright, misty evening in Petersburg's muskegs. A group of people in raincoats and rubber boots heads out the Hungry Point Trail and steps into an ancient peat bog that sucks at their boots. I mean, it's an amazing sponge, and it stores water to feed the salmon streams when it's super hot. Amazing filtration. That's Joni Johnson, who's leading the walk along with fellow U.S. Forest Service ecologist Karen Dillman. As Dillman points out the structures of the tiny plants around us, the incredible complexity begins to reveal itself. So lichens are fungi that have learned how to cultivate algae to photosynthesize for them, and they take the sugars of the algae to live. Because, look at it, there's no roots, it's just living in water, it's absorbing all the water, it might get some of the nutrients from the water, but not really, it's more the photosynthetic properties of the algal partner. 
As it turns out, along on the tour is a group of world-class experts. They're visiting Petersburg on their way to the Botanical Society of America's annual conference, which this year takes place in Anchorage. There's a specialist in insectivorous plants, crouching down to peer through a magnifier at the bright, spiny insect eaters, and a PhD student specializing in sphagnum mosses, who's almost leaping about like a kid at an Easter egg hunt, collecting specimens and wrapping them in paper. This is called sphagnum quinquifarium. This is a species that is found in forests, like mostly in forests. Nearby, Philip Shushkov is swatting at noceums. He's a theoretical chemist with Indiana University and hopes that mosses will give him ideas for his research in genetic engineering. They have certain cell types that have that sort of ancestral that have developed before the cell types in vascular plants. And uh, we've been actually discussing quite a bit how to actually leverage this single cell technology. And then basically this will give us clues how to engineer it and change it in the future for our needs. Here's Shushkov's research partner, Luke Nikolov from UCLA. Moss is able to retain more than 10 times its own weight in water. We don't know how this is done. This is done through a specialized cell type that is able to do that. Well, we can think of many different reasons why we would like to invent a material that is able to carry that much water. And we can use this knowledge of how you would produce this particular cell type for bioengineering um, or biologically inspired design of, of materials. Nikolov, who specializes in flowers, creates theories on how plants' genes direct their development. Then Shushkov builds mathematical and chemical models of these theories to test them out. And then the results of their experiments can be used, for example, to help engineer stronger blueberry crops. Nikolov is amazed at all the different varieties of blueberry growing in the muskeg. He says the monocultures grown for mass consumption are vulnerable to getting wiped out entirely by fungus or parasites even as the world population increases. It's, it's a very uh, precarious time as well because much of that wild diversity that we see around us is disappearing very fast, much faster than we can actually study it. So we're losing invaluable resources, genetic resources that we could actually use and harness to make better crops that will fit us for centuries ahead. That's why, he says, it's important to visit places like Petersburg, where vital knowledge can be gleaned from an ancient, intricately balanced ecosystem. Though species are rapidly dying out across much of the globe, here in the Muskeg, nature seems intact and eternal. In Petersburg, I'm Catherine Monahan. I'm Meredith Reddick, and this has been Raven News.